You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now your host, Tish. Hey there, listeners. Thanks for joining me today. So my guest today was homeless at 14, dealing with mental illness, but she now runs not one, but multiple businesses. Welcome, Sasha Brandt. Thank you for being here, and always thanks to my listeners, too. Hello and welcome. Thank you for having me. We're going to have a great time. I'm so excited to have you. We had some issues with a couple of the other ones that we had recorded, or I mean, set up to record, and then we couldn't do it. So I'm like, dang it, it's happening today. We will make it happen. It was meant for the new year. That's all. Uh, that, that was just the world saying, ah, we'll do it when it's the new year. <laughs> yes, I love that way of thinking. You are so correct. So I wanted to mention really quick before we dive in, listeners, you can find Sasha online at brandscrubbers.com. That will be listed in the show notes as well as some links to her social media. Um, And if you want the show notes for today's episode, head on over to shiningself.com forward slash SB. All right, Sasha, I am ready to dive into our conversation because I know you have some stories to share with my listeners. Heck yes. And uh, and I I think we're going to have a great old conversation. So let's just dive right in. Perfect. So the first thing I want to touch on is you were homeless at 14. Now, in my head, I know homelessness has to suck no matter what age, but I cannot fathom being 14 years old and being homeless. Can you tell my listeners, what was it like being a kid and being homeless? I mean, you you know, I can't say that it was easy because it's never easy, right? There's, there's no, there's no magic button. There's, there's definitely no, especially when I was 14, uh, there wasn't as much support and like my parents, great, wonderful people. They, you know, they, they'd let the cops bring me back and then shoot me out the door. So there was, there was very limited supporter options for me at the time. So as you can imagine, it wasn't easy, but as the saying goes, sometimes the things most worthwhile in life are not easy. And, uh, even though I, I wouldn't necessarily wish it on anybody else, I, I wouldn't change a thing because it's made me who I am today. I love that you say you wouldn't change a thing because it's made who you are today. And that is how I feel about, and I have never dealt with homelessness, but some of the other things in my life that I've dealt with, um, you know, for the longest time I played the victim mentality and the victim role. But when I finally, you know, came out of that whole, okay, suddenly I'm not the victim and it's not everybody else's fault. You know, I am responsible for a lot of things. I suddenly started to realize that, holy crap, a lot of this shit that I have been through actually makes me the woman that I am today. And I think I'm a pretty fabulous freaking woman. So Hell yeah. <laughs> I love that, you know, you say that it makes you who you are today. So when you were ho- homeless, I just want to kind of paint that picture and, you know, make sure that I'm understanding correctly. Were you homeless with your parents or did you leave home on your own at 14? No, it wasn't really of my own making. Uh, It was a very difficult situation. My parents were divorced. My mother was remarrying. There was a lot of friction and tension on so many sides. And uh, I just don't don't think that my parents necessarily wanted or or could deal with me. 
per se. So I, I spent a lot of time away from any home. They, they had homes. I just didn't spend very much time with them uh, as they would prefer it. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, out in our, like my grandmother had a cabin in Windermere. So I'd take off there whenever I could, or uh, I spent a lot of time living with friends, sleeping on couches, uh, drifting, whatever, whatever really it took because being at home wasn't really an option for me. Uh, they, it just wasn't a situation where I could stick around. So <laughs> you, you kind of just learn to do what you got to do to get there. I, I worked two jobs. I finished high school, uh, did college, the whole nine. And I, I, I did a lot of that just kind of on my own willpower. But it was never easy. <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal. So I'm curious to know, do you have a relationship with your parents today? Oh, goodness, no. Uh, I, I, have, I have tried a few times in my adult life, I really have, uh, to, to, to reach out and try to mend bridges, but uh, we just did just not something that we have ever been able to do. So uh, unfortunately, I don't really have a relationship with my parents, but I have a, a relationship with my grandmother who uh, I really consider being the driving force in my youth and the reason I was able to to pull through. She's an absolutely fantastic lady and she is still a part of my life as much as she can be. Unfortunately, she's been in the hospital the last eight months. Uh, but I've just had a very different situation to so, know. I mean, I've tried to mend those bridges, but there are just some bridges that they may not mend completely. Yeah. And that's okay, right? It, it doesn't mean that I harbor any resentment. It doesn't mean that I actually, I actually don't have any anger anymore. I've kind of just let that go. <laughs> uh, because you know what, at some point you take responsibility for your own existence. I just had to do it earlier than some. Right. I'm sorry to hear about your grandma being in the hospital. That's got to be hard, especially as close as it sounds as you are to her. Absolutely. And you know what it has been, but I've got to learn great things like, uh, because of the journey that I've been on with her, um, you know, through her later in life period, uh, it had, it's actually opened doors for me to work as a volunteer with the Hospice Society of the Columbia Valley. So I, I work with them. I've done their end of life training. We're working on the bereavement training. I assist their marketing division and I'm uh, chairman of their fundraising committee. So uh, it, it's opened up a lot of doors. Yes, it's really hard. I deal with a lot of anticipatory grief, which is something that I've learned about uh, through this experience. So as much as it will hurt just like any other loss would hurt. Uh, it's, it's also been a very beautiful eye-open experience about how, how wonderful end of life can be and what we can do for, for people during that period of their time. Wow, I love that you shared that and thank you for sharing all that because you know I think back to when my grandparents passed away and I just didn't have like any resources available. I didn't like know how to handle it. And I love that, you know, you're turning the situation into um, more of like a positive if, I mean, that sounds really weird to say about somebody passing, you know, getting to that stage of life, that it's positive, but listening to you share everything, the doors that have opened because of this, it is something positive. And I think that's, there's a societal factor there, right? Because I mean, we, we are, are bred with this fear of death. Everybody's trying to prolong death, uh, and it, it just gets kind of a bad rap, whereas I think that if we changed our perspective a little bit, uh, threw in a little gratitude, which is a huge thing for me, it, death doesn't necessarily have to be a negative experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be something to fear. 
it's it's just part of a natural process so the more that we can love and respect it like any other portion the better it's going to be i mean we've learned how to care and support babies in so many ways and there's so many courses and options and ah babies can really be supported well now and if we would take that same care and apply it to the end of life things would be different so that's part of what I, I work with the hospice society to really do is a better understanding of that period of time and offering resources in any way we possibly can to help people understand and be able to uh adjust really um hospice oh my gosh thank you to hospice and hospice workers when my best friend lost her dad several years ago that hospice lady that came to her house, to her mom's house, oh my gosh, she was just phenomenal. And I'm just, I'm grateful that we have people that, you know, have a gift for doing something like that because that can't be easy. Oh goodness. And no, it's not. <laughs> but at the same point, it's needed. I mean, we, we all want to, to go out with respect and with support and it's, it, yes, it's hard, but there's a lot of people out there willing to do it. And there's a lot of people who need it, right? We, we deserve the same respect at the end of our cycle as we did it at the beginning. Yeah. And, and hospice, a lot of people don't understand hospice isn't just about dying, right? It's about grieving. It's about supporting those grieving. It's, there's so many components that people don't understand because all they think is, well, dying. Uh, and so it's, it's been a really eye-opening experience for me to see all of the different aspects of what goes into grieving and bereavement and things like anticipatory grief and end of life care. And before that, even when they need care, but they're not, you know, not there. Like there's, there's so many facets that you just don't realize. And I, as much as it hurts me uh, to think about losing my grandmother, she's really the light of my life. Uh, I, I am so grateful for the experience I've been able to, to gain and, the things that I've been able to learn on this journey. Yeah, I think we also eventually, at least I know in my journey with my grandparents, we finally come to that point where we're like, okay, they've been hanging on for so long. Um, and it was just, okay, it's time for them to go because it's just making it more difficult on me and my family. So I came to that point where I was like, okay, yeah, it's going to suck not having them around, but it's going to be so much better for them to just finally go. Exactly. A natural process. We're all going to go through it. Fearing it doesn't necessarily help anything. So understanding it, working to accept it, working, working to support it, that's, that's really the best that we can do, right? For ourselves and for those in our lives that are going through that process. Yes. So the next thing I want to move on to, Sasha, is, and you briefly mentioned it, was gratitude. So we've already talked about the homelessness, and I had mentioned in the opening, um, you know, dealing with mental illness. So I want to talk about how you overcome adversities and mental illness using an attitude of gratitude. Can you go into that a little bit for my listeners? Absolutely. Uh so the attitude of gratitude, it's, it's more than just a concept. It's a lifestyle. And for me, a lot of it developed, I, I went through a series of uh, dialectical behavioral therapy uh, through a government program. I did it for three years and I learned a lot and it teaches you a lot of skills and a lot of ways to manage your emotions uh, and generally the ways to integrate. So, I mean, having a mental illness and wanting to succeed definitely takes a lot of work. 
but it doesn't mean it's impossible. But gratitude is something that developed after that point. When you start to really understand that the way you see the world is entirely yours, you shape your reality, you shape your concept of life, death, you shape everything, right? Your understanding is your understanding and it's different from anybody else's. So knowing that, we can use gratitude to ensure that the experience that we have, the things that we remember, the way that we feel, the way that we present and carry ourselves is a positive experience overall. Now that's not saying you're happy all the time, good Lord, nobody is, but you can use gratitude to perceive life in a different way so that you can move forward effectively and healthfully and, and do it successfully, right? It's a, it's a way of looking at life that enables you to succeed instead of hindering you. Yeah, I like that. And as you're talking, like one of the things that popped into my head was I used to always hear people saying, you can always find something to be grateful for. <laughs> and I would like, and I don't mean to be laughing now, but you know, back then I was like rolling my eyes and I was like, they are so full of crap, you know, because sometimes some of the things in life that I have went through, there has not been anything to be grateful for. But now I really, I don't know that I have like a, a set like attitude of gratitude, but if something crummy is going on, I definitely am more aware and try to make myself find something positive and something that I can be grateful about that situation. Well, and that's a good thing because here's, here's the thing. Gratitude enables us to be more effective, more productive, better people, right? When we are in a, in a state of emotional distress, when we are out, upset, when we are miserable, negative, whatever you want to say, right? We are, we are literally telling our brains how to remember the situation, which means we're going to remember it negatively, which affects our overall sense of who we are. Okay, well, there's that factor. Negativity can affect other people. So we have the ability to leak on other people with our negativity, but it also causes a massive decrease in, pro in pro productivity, in efficacy. Because when you're upset, when you're miserable, you don't do anything. You just complain and you wallow and you, and you, can't, you can't grow and you can't move. So the ability to use gratitude to kind of shift your perspective can help you get back on track faster so that you can really address the problem faster so that maybe you can get further faster. Uh, so for instance, and I'll give you this story because I, I, I laugh every time this happens. So right now we do not have water. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. Right now I do not have water. Now I live in a 29 foot trailer in the middle of the air, like in Southern BC, uh, because we like to travel, but we also, I mean, we run businesses out of a little trailer and it, it allows us a very unique lifestyle. Well, right now we don't have any running water. Everything's frozen solid. <laughs> so right now it makes life a little bit difficult. And there is the potential to get really disappointed over that. Oh my God, I have no water. I can't go to the bathroom and flush my toilet. I can't turn on the taps and drink something. I, I can't take a shower. Oh my God, my life is over. This is horrible. Now, wait a second. If we do that, we're not actually doing anything to problem solve. All we're doing is making ourselves feel worse. Yes. Right? We are building this, this idea that it's it's awful and it's horrible. And we are telling the universe we don't want to solve it. So we're just going to stay stuck longer. So in these situations, and I do this with my husband and I do this with my, I do this with everybody. I'm like, you know, I'm actually really grateful because it's not that I don't have access to clean water. I have access to clean water. I just have to go a little friggin' further. 
okay, so maybe it's, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a walk, but I have water. It's not like I don't. It's just an inconvenience. And you look at it that way and you're like, okay, well, you know, there are people out there that don't have water. I'm really glad I still have access to water. This isn't actually all that bad. Well, geez, how could I fix this problem? Well, I could unfreeze my pipes. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to take a while? Yes. Oh, gratitude. I have the tools I need to unfreeze my pipes. So it's a perspective shift. On one hand, yes, you could sit and be miserable. Oh, go right ahead. But the only person you really hurt ever is yourself. Or you can turn around and look at it with a little, a, a little bit of gratitude and know it doesn't always make you feel better, right? I'm not super happy I have no water, but gosh darn it, I am grateful that water still exists and I'm not, you know, in the middle of a, a desert or sucked into a sink. Oh, good. There's so many other things that could be so much worse. Why waste my time and energy? Instead, I choose to be here having a great chat with you, laughing about stuff, uh, and it, I don't let it bother me. So gratitude is a way to help you move, move past things faster so that you can go back to being healthy and happy and effective. Because I don't want to remember my life as a big string of misery. And I've been through enough to say that I could. I want to remember all the good things. I want to remember, put my effort and energy into remembering all the really great experiences and learning the really good things so that I am a well of positivity and gratitude. And that allows my reality to be a well of positivity and gratitude, despite what's going on. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that story. And I, I don't know that if I were in that situation, I could literally have an attitude of gratitude about having no water. And that just goes to show that sometimes we take the simplest things for granted. Like I'm so used to just getting up every day and being able to turn on the faucet to get a drink of water or take a shower that, you know, if I suddenly wake up one day and it's not there, like, oh my gosh, um, that's just I don't, I commend you for having like the attitude and the laughing that you were doing about it as you were sharing the story. Cause I'm just sitting here and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I'm thinking, where were you years ago when I needed to hear this message? Because I was such a negative Nancy, like, oh my gosh, that saying of misery loves company is so true because it's like the negativity that I wallowed in, it literally was an invitation for those around me to just be negative. And, you know, we always grumbled together and I don't know, it's like we would try to outdo one another. If I was having, you know, this crummy day that I was complaining about and being negative about, you know, somebody else would be like, well, you know, mine is way worse. And it was just, it was crazy. Well, if you've ever watched any like alien horror type movies, I always like to think of, of negativity and that, 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 that situation we get in ourselves into that mindset, like misery pods, you get put inside this little digestive misery pod. And the more you are miserable, the more it digests you and digests you and digests you. So misery does love company because it'll just suck more people into the pod. Yes. And what you were saying about, you know, as you're being grateful and finding things, practicing that attitude of gratitude and, you know, choosing to remember like the good things and look at all the positives about the situation, it totally invites those around you to, you know, maybe 
open their minds to looking at situations differently too. So I love that because I really believe like the energy that we're putting out there is what we're attracting to us and around us. Absolutely. And I, I've got a book that's going to be coming out hopefully this year. It's done. It's just the editing that, oh my gosh. Uh, and it's all about reshaping your perspective to create your own reality, right? Because that's really what it is. And a lot of it is based on gratitude, right? But it's not something that you can magically do overnight. I can teach anybody to live in an attitude of gratitude, but it takes time. And that's why I go live five days a week on Facebook talking about gratitude. Do it every day. <laughs> uh, because it, it's something that you have to work over time. Uh, it's like having a muscle, right? If you don't exercise the muscle, it can't lift things, it can't do things. So you have to exercise your gratitude muscle so that when you get into those situations like not having any water, you already have the skills and the ability and the will to be able to turn it around with a little gratitude. I just love listening to you talk. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you are just a wealth of information and knowledge. And I can't wait till your book comes out. You will have to email me and let me know when it's released because I definitely want to check that out. Absolutely. It's, it's my big push for this year. Uh, I've, I've got it into round two for editing, but you know, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> so uh, I got to make sure it's right. But now it'll, I, I will definitely let you know what it's out. It's going to be great. I just think that more people need to understand that we're not, unfortunately, we're, we're given a lot of skills in school. We're trained a lot of things as we grow up. Do I think some of them are obsolete? Absolutely. We should be learning how to manage our life in gratitude. We should be learning how to do things that are actually going to positively affect our lives, like emotional regulation. And so this is the kind of stuff that I like to talk about and I like to teach because, again, having a mental illness uh, not easy. Nope. Mm -mm. Uh, even I'm willing to say that there are days where I, it's just not easy. Let's just go with that. But if you work at it, if you put the effort in, just like you would with anything else, you know, musicians, they have to practice to become freaking amazing. Well, you have to do the same thing to become really good with things like emotional regulation and gratitude and, and managing your perception. But when you do it, it's rewarding right? Just like exercising, even though I don't like to always do it, it's rewarding to do. So right. it's something that I, I, I thoroughly believe in. I'm happy to share with as many people as I can. Uh, and if there's anybody list, you're always welcome to come onto Facebook, look for the empowerment pride. Uh, we have both a pay, uh, page and a Facebook group and it's dedicated to growing yourself and your business through gratitude. So you can always come and check me out. I'm, I'm yammering there five days a week. We do it same cat time, same cat channel. It's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. And I totally agree with you. I think that is stuff that should be being taught in school. Wholeheartedly agree with that. It took me years, years to learn how to really do this effectively. And now people are like, wow, how do you do that? And I'm like, wow, it took me years. Right. But I, I really wish we could put it in the foundation. But if you're, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're like, well, this sounds like a great idea. Anybody can start this at any age and find success just comes down to understanding your reality as your own and being willing to build the pieces in and flex the muscles you need to grow in that way, right? It's just going to nourish that side of you. So Sasha, I want to circle back around to dialectal, I'm probably mutilating that word. 
DBT, um, call it DBT, it's okay. <laughs> all right. So I don't know why I didn't just say that to begin with. So let's circle back around to DBT because I actually, I have never heard of this before. So I'm wondering if I have any listeners that are also wondering what that is. Will you take a couple minutes and explain exactly what DBT is? Absolutely. So first question, have you heard of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy? Yes. Right. Everybody has. It's kind of branch one. Well, cognitive behavioral therapy is the idea that you shape your thoughts, which then shapes how you respond to things and, and eventually shapes you. Well, there's a lot of people out there that trying to change the way you're thinking isn't necessarily the easiest thing, especially when you're dealing with certain levels of mental illness. So dialectical behavioral therapy is the process of changing the behaviors and repeating the changed behaviors until your brain eventually freaking catches up. So for me, I have a, I have a lot going on in my head and uh, it's, it's something that I've always struggled with. Um, and trying to change the way I was thinking wasn't effective, it wasn't working. Uh, so I went through a lot of doctors, went through a lot of programs, nothing ever worked. By, by changing my, my habits, and it takes time, right? I mean, it takes you 30 days at least to change a habit. But by changing those habits over time, my thinking changed to align. So even though I really, even though I was stubborn and, oh God, I was stubborn. Uh, <laughs> even though I really resisted at times, by, by retraining those behaviors, eventually my mind came too, whether I, uh, whether I realized it or not. So it's just a, it's a different way of taking a, an approach. Now, the reason I find it so effective is because you have to change the behaviors. Right. So you're rewriting the behaviors. And so it's it's I find it easier personally to rewrite behaviors than the way I'm thinking. By changing the behaviors, it changes the way I think it. it I find it very effective. So over the, the years that I had to do it, it's, it's about learning how to manage your emotional regulation. Whoa. Gotta love a little Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> but it's all about emotional regulation, right? It's about using skills and using activities and using things that you do to adjust how you feel. So uh, have, you ever, have you ever been totally freaked out, like completely emotionally out of control? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, heck, who hasn't, right? Uh, especially if you're a woman. Good Lord, don't we get those moments. Well, Dialectical behavioral therapy will teach you things to do at different levels of distress so that you can reduce those emotions and lessen the impact so that you can get back into control and back into a productive mindset faster. Thank you. DBT sounds really interesting and I keep thinking I had to have heard it at some point in my life over the years with all the self-help and everything. It's still fairly new. I mean, uh, gosh, Mar I think it was only maybe late nineties, early two thousands where Marsha Linehan really made this a thing. So it's, it's, it's later in the game. It's still fairly new. And there's still a lot of, uh, institutions that don't even recognize it entirely, but it's made a lot of headways in the last couple of years. So don't feel bad that you don't know about it. I didn't know about it either, but I love the approach. And so the way I help people, uh, both through business, through our, our entrepreneur group, through all of these different aspects is to, to use a balance of gratitude and dialectical behavioral therapy because I find it effective. Well, I think what's really important about it um, when you were talking about it was that it focuses on us changing behaviors. 
because that is so important. And what popped into my head when you were talking about that was, I mean, I'm so guilty of it in my own life, but how many times that saying that, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, like, you know, until we actually like change a behavior, nothing is going to change. Exactly. Yeah. I I think that's important process, right? It's no different than training a puppy. It's, it's, it's a lot of work to do, but Overall, I mean, without learning DBT, without learning how to live in the attitude of gratitude, without blending these these thoughts and ideas, I wouldn't be here and talking to you and running multiple businesses and starting up a not-for-profit and supporting other not-for-profits. I wouldn't be able to do any of this. So less, you mentioned businesses, let's circle back around now to how did you come to the point in life where, you know, we've talked about the homelessness, the mental illness. How did you come to the point where you decided to become an entrepreneur? What a story. Um, (laughs) I'd like to say that I've always wanted to run my own business. You know, I'd really like to be able to say that, but it would be a lie. Uh, And I'm the first one to admit that I would be lying. I started out, you know, just like anybody else. I, I worked here, worked there. I learned really quickly. Uh, it's a side effect of the, the mental illnesses that I deal with. Um, so I learn extremely quickly, which means I move up really quickly, which means I get bored really quickly. So I jumped around from jobs. I was managing this. I was opening that. And so I, I did a lot. And eventually I ended up in, in corporate, you know, dealing with client services, really dealing with companies on how to grow their businesses. and. Uh, how to present market and how to uh, properly manage their customer service. And during, during that time, I was also dealing with a a physically uh, and mentally abusive relationship. So it kind of two things came to head at once. On the one hand, uh, the, the, the relationship, you know, eventually I got out of that. (laughs) And uh, And that's a a good thing. thing. Uh, so I got out of that and at the same time I was kind of dealing with the corporate but for me I was really struggling because I I got to see a lot of big companies get a lot of good support and good help and not really use it and the little guys don't get as much and I think it, it, it was a process of extreme change for me I I just I couldn't be there anymore I couldn't I couldn't do the things they wanted me to do I, I needed soul uh, I finally escaped a horribly abusive situation I I just I needed something more. And so I, I left and I started a business. Wow. <laughs> uh, I jumped in both with both feet and no, again, maybe not the best <laughs> approach for all people, but for me, it was the only way it was going to happen. So rip off the bandaid, jump in with both feet, feel the burn. Right. Uh, and so I started my own business because that was the next logical move. It enabled me to stay home and deal and, and work from wherever I needed to work from while I dealt with healing, because being a victim of domestic violence, there is a level of healing you have to do. So for me, it was easier to work from home and manage my own business and help the little guys and be able to support people while also supporting myself and my, my mental health and my care. So it was something that kind of just happened. Wow. What a story. And then I just never went back. <laughs> yeah. And talk about ripping the bandaid off and just jumping in with both feet. But sometimes that's the best thing to do. I mean, look at you today. I, I personally, I don't think I've ever done anything else. I've tried. I, planning is nice, but you know, the saying goes sometimes the best laid plans. And I have one of those existences. If I plan it, it will blow up. 
Uh, whereas if I just jump in, I can usually figure it out pretty well as I go. So did you have an idea of how to start a business or what you wanted to do? Or did you start researching? I mean, how did that, what, what was that process like? That was also a process. Uh, and, and I actually, this is why I have the empowerment pride and why I coach and work with new business owners is because it is very much a process. Mm -hmm. Everybody kind of starts out in the same place. We can tell you until we're blue in the face to niche down, but until you understand why that's so important from an internal and out, uh, external viewpoint, it, it's just something that a lot of people don't do. So I had to go through a, a journey and where I started the business that I started with and where I am now are very, very different, but that's okay. And I think that's actually kind normal. of common, pretty yeah. normal. Yeah. Right. And it, it, it's a process where I started, uh, you know, I got to learn some great things. I got to help people. I realized my, my area of expertise was slightly different and the more people needed more help in that area. And it just grew and changed. Like the, the most important thing as a human being. And I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people forget this is the, the only constant in life is change. That is it. Yes. That is all. That is it. Change. Yep. So the people who succeed, and this is exponentially more important in business than anywhere else. The people who succeed are the ones who change with expertise. So I, I, I like to tell people I, I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm best at changing. I love that. <laughs> right. Being able to be flexible and being able to change is one of the best skills you can ever have as a human being. And it's one that we are not trained with. So I, I, I honestly feel that change is, is the best thing for us. And so I wholeheartedly accept it. Uh, comfort zones of death to business. The more comfortable you are, the less you grow. And when you were talking about, you know, like the whole change thing, and I think it's really common, again, that businesses change over, you know, over time for people, because as we grow and evolve, it only makes sense that our businesses also, you know, grow, evolve and change with us. That, I mean, that's just like the most logical thing. The successful people do that. Yes. And yes. that's why sometimes, uh, you know, eventually you'll get a big business and then they get too rigid and then they're gone, right? The, the more successful, the, the businesses that are successful, the people that are successful, the ones that are continue, continuing to shift and change sometime ahead of the curve, look at Apple, right? It's about embracing the fact that change is going to happen and trying to meet it there. Yes. Sasha, this has been just fascinating conversation. I have loved listening to your stories and everything that you've you. talked about. If there was like one thing that you would want our listeners to take away from today, what is that? Regardless as to what you perceive your reality to be, what you believe is what you know, and you can change that. It doesn't matter, it really doesn't matter what it is. If you have a will, you can shape your reality to be the one that you want it to be. All it takes is work. Uh, and I think the reason that's so important is because a lot of people, and this comes, like I learned this as being a victim of domestic violence. You get stuck, you're like, I can't do anything. I'm stuck. There's no options, I can't. Well. There's always options, whether we think that they are good options, different, but there are always options. There are always things that we can do. There are always different ways that we can go. So if, if, if you remember nothing else, 
just remember that there is always some something somewhere some direction that you can turn that you can go that you can create to make your reality better Ooh, that is good stuff i love that takeaway oh my gosh talk about powerful yes so you know you're you're a master of your own reality and there is no more truth in the universe than that <laughs> Yep. And one of the, um, like in the information that you submitted in your author bio was you have a quote listed. Anyone can overcome adversity and use their experiences as a personal drive to exceed. From there, you have the potential to develop a charismatic entrepreneurial spirit that others will follow. I just freaking love that. But it's true, right? Uh, any, I mean, anybody could do it. Anybody could technically do anything. It all comes down to what, how badly you want it and how much you are willing to change to get there. Yes. Again, thank you so much for being here, Sasha. Yay. This has been such a great conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I know my listeners are going to. And don't forget, listeners, if you want the show notes from today's episode where you'll find all the links to um, Sasha's website, social media, all that, head on over to shiningself.com forward slash SB. Thanks again, Sasha. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yay. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment and share with others that need a message of hope, love and transformation.